Uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you and those of you gathered with us here in the Ritz. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I want to teach you a little phrase that we're going to use this morning that I hope you will find helpful. Okay, it's not hard. It's not complicated. I heard a, a, a guy, a Pastor Ricky Jenkins at a leadership conference I was at this week, um, say something really profound. Uh, and it was, uh, I guess it was simple. It, it wasn't like uh, you know, one of these things where you're, uh, you're kind of like expounding the great mysteries of the universe or anything like that. It was real simple. He just simply said, I'm still here is a testimony. I'm still here. Three words. All right? Can you say it with me? I'm still here. One more time. I'm still here. All right, we'll come back to it. Acts 14 is where we're going to be today. We're in a series called A World Less Traveled. And this particular world, the one we're going to talk about today, is less traveled because this is a world in which Christians are going out, they're preaching everything that they do, everything that they think about. Uh, they are completely captivated with the gospel. And you would expect that that might lead them into some uh, green pastures and all those kinds of things, and they do in a certain way. But usually what it means is that they suffer persecution and suffering and pain. This is going to be a little town called Lystra. Last week we talked about Antioch, which kind of, you know, they, they, they're persecuted because of the stoning of Stephen. There's a persecution that breaks out, and they're spread throughout the kingdom because God told them to go, but they wouldn't go. So now he, he goaded them. He sent them out uh, via persecution. So they land at a place called Antioch, and there the gospel expands from Jews really to, to Greeks and beyond. And then they go from Antioch to a little place called Lystra, much different kind of city. It was a place where uh, there were no synagogues. So usually the way that they would do it is uh, Paul and the other Christians, they would find the synagogue in the city where they were going and preach there. Because it is, it's an easier journey from hey, we all believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're all waiting expectantly for the Messiah, and hey, we found the Messiah. That's an easy journey. A harder one is let's blow up everything else you know, take you all the way back to Genesis 1, so to speak, and take them forward. So uh, in, they, there was no synagogue there, so they had to do it the, the Greek way, which was to stand up and to draw a crowd with their oratory, which is not the easiest way to do these things. Um, it, because you don't know what kind of crowd you're going to draw. But in the ancient world, it was entertainment. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have all that stuff. Uh, you couldn't get in your car and go somewhere. You had to seek entertainment where you could find it. And for them, oratory was one of those. So people would stand up. They'd just start going. They'd be talking about philosophy or history or whatever, and they would uh, elocute. They would expound. They would say things with big fancy words and do it in a very cogent way. And so here we are at Lystra. They're up there. They're preaching and the crowd begins to gather. But there were temples there, not synagogues, but temples to the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. So they get up, they start preaching, and then this happens. We're going to read 10 verses, which sounds like a lot in today's culture. We can do this. Uh, this gives you the whole story. So, well, at least the first half of the story. I'll tell you the second half. But here's what happens. They get up, they start preaching, and this happens. Acts 14, 8 to 18. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments Okay, that's a sign of mourning. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained people from offering sacrifice to them. All right, let's summarize that. Paul and Barnabas, they get up, they start preaching to the crowds. Over in the corner, there's a man over here who can't walk, hasn't ever been able to walk. Paul sees him, feels the Spirit leading him, he says, hey, stand up. And so this man, it says, springs to his feet and starts walking around. Well, now everybody doesn't know, what did I just see? And so they go, ah, you know, we spend all of our time praying to Zeus and Hermes. Maybe this is them. I mean, after all, if these guys can make somebody who can't walk, walk again. Maybe they are like gods. So then the rush is on to offer sacrifices to those gods, Zeus and Hermes, who they, they think that's Paul and Barnabas. So the guy that runs the local Zeus temple down there goes and grabs a bunch of bulls. He grabs a bunch of uh, uh, garlands, it says, and they come to offer sacrifices like good worshipers would. Paul and Barnabas are, are absolutely ashamed of what started to happen unintentionally. They tear their garments in mourning and basically say, don't worship us. You got us mistaken for the real God, the God who gives you all this great stuff that you enjoy. You think that that you know, you, you know, all this great stuff that you enjoy just seems to come from Zeus and Hermes. But no, that's God blessing you even though he doesn't have to. In your former life and in the past, he's always allowed everybody to just mess around in their foolishness. But he always gave you a sign. He would give you rain. He would give you fruitful seasons. He'd give you joy and gladness and all of these things that you enjoy as a way of testifying to his goodness. So you're making a mistake. Please don't do it. Now, at first... Um, they seem to be, the crowd seems to be big fans of Paul, Barnabas. Things will head downhill from here for Paul and Barnabas. But before we move on, let's stop and get this point. That as Paul and Barnabas point to, God is not just our hero, and our heroes are not God. When Paul and Barnabas figure out what's going on, they are mortified. They tear their garments. They don't see what's happening at first. It says that the Lystrans are speaking their own little dialect. Paul and Barnabas are having a hard time hearing it. But they realize what's going on, and they start, the people start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. That's easy for us to kind of look at them and say, well, that's stupid. How dare they? How dare they mistake ordinary people for God himself? I mean, who would do that? Hmm. Uh, let me ask you. Um, I, I could probably ask you, have you ever bowed down and worshipped another human being? Most of us would probably say no. I hope. But really one of the questions becomes, who is it that actually has influence in your life? Who is it? that when they say jump, you say how high? Who is it whose approval you need? Who is the one, whether it be a politician that you follow or a party that you follow, whether it be a, a news outlet, if they write it, I said, they said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, is it a celebrity? Is it something on social media who, that you're influenced by a person? Is it a group of kids at school where you would do almost anything to earn their approval, and so if they say that this is the cool thing to wear, then you go wear that thing. But they steer you like a ship or a car or a bicycle. Okay, I would make the case that's really what is or who is God for you. The one that directs and influences your life. So what they do here is, oh, they're the ones that give me good gifts. These must be the gods themselves. And when we get to that point where we're being influenced by people uh, to an inappropriate extent, now we'll talk about holy emulation in a second, but that little, that little propensity to let people and their approval and things that they say, or because we resonate, something inside of us resonates, or there's something inside of us that's in pain or hurting that we need satiated, and they offer it to us so they can control us by what they say, what they do, the opportunities they offer, their encouragement, come this way, come this way, come this way. Um, and sometimes, sisters and brothers, it's our very selves. It's what we decide to do, to be our own gods. I know God said this, but I'm not going to do that. Well, 
I remember an early experience in our young family years ago when we decided, I've told you before about Lucy, our dog, short for Lucifer. She, she was a, a, a horrible animal, but, but we're, we're really not good pet people in general. We knew we were not good pet people because we're never there. We're, all, we're never home. We're rarely home. Somebody, and, if they're, it's, and our kids, when they were younger, we're not capable of taking care of an animal. And as usual, those of you who are parents know, the way it goes is, oh, yeah, mom, dad, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And they never touch the thing again. Once it enters your house, you'll be taking care of it, picking up every uh, one and two that that thing drops off. Um, and your kid, meanwhile, is going to you know, do whatever. Well, I, I haven't spoken very often of our cat that preceded Lucifer. Our cat was named Buddy. Buddy came into being because we had a, uh, at times, adorable child, um, unnamed child, who, who really had to have a cat. She really wanted a cat. Um, her friends had cats. Um, there was a neighbor up the street that uh, had a, a litter of kittens on the, on the porch that you could go see and stuff. She actually tried to swipe one of those cats. We had to have it take it back, give it back to the guy. Um, so she wanted a cat, and it was one of those years where, as a parent, and I know uh, it's like, okay, it's Christmas time. We really haven't put a lot of thought into what we're going to get her. You know, fine, just get the stupid cat. Let's just get the cat, All right? So we do that. We get the cat. This thing is like, looks like a rabbit's foot on a keychain. This thing's tiny, tiny little cat named Buddy, all right? So here's, here's Buddy, the cat. Now, I thought to myself, you know, you look at it and you go, you know, how could something that size do anybody any harm? You know, well, how many of you have cats? All right, get, admit it. All right, you got a few. Okay, so, so did you, how many of you got those cats when they were kittens? Okay, like one. That's why you guys still have cats. Um, <laughs> little kittens are the worst. This thing goes around on a reign of terror in our house that made Lucifer seem like a blessing to us. This little thing went around. It scratched up every piece of furniture we had. It damaged, you know, clothing, uh, you know, carpet, couches, just everything. This thing was, was, was peeing on things and pooping on things. And what stinks is dogs bark and stuff so you can tell where they are. And this thing would just be going around and you'd only know where it was because you'd see the damage. You know, you could follow it like breadcrumbs from hell all the way through the house. So we go, this, this little stupid cat. And I'm like, how do we end up with this useless mongrel? Well, we end up, this thing, all of a sudden, we realize it's not working right. It's not, it's not, it doesn't look like it's feeling good. So we go, oh, well, let's take it to the vet. So we take it to the vet. The vet goes, hey, you know, we, uh, it's one of two things, which, look, man, you're the vet. You're supposed to narrow down to the one thing. Giving me multiple choice is not helpful. He says, you got two things. Uh, you can try this medication. It's a little expensive, but it's okay. You know, you know, anything for the, you know, your pet's life. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking a hike with Uncle Tim to Daily Ranch could end this thing, you know. And, um, but I was like, it'd be a lot cheaper. He goes, you can, have, you can have the medication for the cat, and if this is what I think it is, then it'll get better. And if not, then the cat's already going to die. There's nothing you can do. So, of course, you know, the, the, the family committee of, of uh, you know, bleeding heart people uh, decides we're going to go ahead and do it. So the bill comes, and I'll just say the bill, <laughs> the bill is four digits. And we were, this is like when we were starting NBC. We had no money, no money. And it was like, dude, we're not paying that. We're not paying that. No way. Right. Well, after we paid that. Then we, we, we uh, you know, we, we take the thing home. A month later, uh, the cat dies. I was really sad. Uh, <laughs> cat died. And, uh, you know, and by the way, I have got, developed a lot more compassion to the animal kingdom than I, I used to have. I'm not exactly Ace Ventura, but, but I'm, I'm better than I used to be. But at this age, I was, I was, I'd be lying if I said I was mourning deeply about the, the problem being solved. I wish it would have happened before we'd paid all the money to get the thing fixed. But anyways, we, we, we know my unnamed daughter. It starts with, oh, rhymes with Bolivia. We were going we to sit her down on the, uh, on the couch and break the news. And, of course, M was actually the one that was crying. Like she discovered the cat. It was in the garage. 
and she she cried and, and everything and and I was thinking oh boy if my wife's this sad just imagine my kid you know we we sit her down on the couch you know and we're like hey Olivia listen mom and dad need to tell you something okay Em <laughs> I turned it over to her and she she kind of does the perfect motherly delivery of a difficult message for her and Olivia's probably I don't know I guess like six or seven something like that and she's like and you can see the news. It hits her brain. Then her eyes start to narrow. Nose kind of twinkles. Face starts to drop. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the flood. Here's the flood. Here's the flood. She goes, can we have a dog? <laughs> and I'm like, I looked at her. I was like, what? Are you saying, what? <laughs> can I have a dog? That was the whole thing. It was like, I don't. I'm just doing what I feel like. I, and I go, we, we bled for this cat. We still have furniture. If you ever come to our house, look at our furniture. There's buddy scratches all over a bunch of it from this hell cat that we had, we had done. And I go, how did we get there? You know how we got there? We followed our hearts. Is that always a bad thing? No. What were we trying to do? We had a kid who was sad and wanted a cat. Is it the end of the world? No. But, but here's the thing. A few years later, we got the same kid, a dog. Lucifer. That went about equally well. That dog is alive, to my knowledge, though. And here's the problem, right? You... you, you you start out kind of just saying, oh, it's a nice thing to do. You might even tell yourself it's the right thing to do. And then the next thing you know, you kind of develop the habit of doing what you think you should do, what you want to do. And while God doesn't talk about dogs or cats a whole lot in the Bible, he does talk a lot about other things, other places we get ourselves in trouble. Um... Yeah, you know, I know the Bible says that I probably shouldn't marry her, but that's okay. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'll fix her later. <laughs> yeah, you know, Pastor Tim, I know, I know what you say, and I know what the Bible says, and I know that a lot of people find a lot of meaning in the church, but I believe that I don't need the church to connect with God. So I can connect with God wherever I am. I don't need the church. Okay. You know, when you're following your desires, you get led into weird spots. And whatever that desire is that can steer your boat really is Hermes for you, Zeus. So let me ask you, sister, brother, what steers your boat? What, what drives you? And I mean really, not, not what you're supposed to say. What drives you? See, they look at this and they go, oh, hey, this is, a, this is Zeus and Hermes. Clearly. You know, uh, and in others, it's like, hey, here's, here's a person that I really respect, or here's an author I think. Hey, I saw this on, on the Today Show, or hey, I, I saw this on on whatever, I heard this on Joe Rogan. Hey, didn't you hear what so-and-so said? Who steers the boat? See, you don't have to be in full, you know, face-on-the-ground worship to another human being to have them or some or your own desires be God. I mean, it's easy. And you don't even realize it because, again, it's like it's incremental. It, it goes from place to place to place to place. It doesn't start off like, okay, I want to, you know what, I'm going to abandon my faith and go do whatever. It's, it's I'm, not, I'm not going to be faithful today. And then it's tomorrow, and then it's next week, and then it's the week after, and the next thing you know, like the shore is way over there. So what he does here, what they do is right, they go, you're making a huge mistake here. You guys are missing that this goodness that you experience, that you think we just brought about, no, 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 no. That comes from a God who works miracles. 
Let me tell you about him. He's the same one that has let you guys wander around in foolishness and wickedness for a long time. But not anymore. But he pointed to his goodness. He wasn't, it wasn't that he was silent. He says, all this goodness that you guys experience. He goes, that's God. That's him showing you how good he is. These seasons of fruitfulness, he says, the, the joy and the gladness that you have. These are God showing you his goodness. And so sometimes what ends up happening is we, like people uh, of old, we begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. We mistake the blessings of God for the bless or. Or, or we, we, we carve that off to the side and the bless or kind of gets left behind. And this time of year particularly, I mean, here in California, I mean, summer's close, but October, October, I mean, we, we find a way to make a party out of almost anything in October. Uh, I mean, you can grab a bale of hay and throw it in a parking lot anywhere and get people to show up. We are partying our guts out right now. I mean, yesterday, we, we, we had a good time here at the Grand. We had Star Wars all day long. And then after that, there was an after party here at the Grand, and people had a good time, and that's wonderful, Right? You know, we, we go to harvest festivals, we dress up, I and mean, it's a weird holiday Halloween is too, we dress up like other people and celebrate death. That's weird, but I digress. That's what we do in October. We, we, we throw festivals and have parties and do things. We go to Bates Nut Farm. <laughs> Bates Nut Farm. Almost said it. Almost said it the first service, too. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Old Spivey shot two for two today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and we go and we celebrate, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is you've got people in this time of year that they go ahead, they get their back-to-school booster shot of spirituality, and then they bookmark their faith there, and they come back to it on Christmas Eve. And they spend October and November riding on hayrides and um, dressing up like uh, Morticia and uh, going door to door with their kids doing stuff, doing things under the guise even sometimes of how important it is to spend time with our families. Ah, oh, yes, our families. Yes, yes. The very blessings that God gave us that we mistake as being where it's at. It's not where it's at. Where it's at is with the one who gave you the blessings. That's where it's at. And that's what Paul is trying to say to them. He goes, look, all this stuff that you guys have, including what you just saw, the miracle that was just done, the, the gladness and the joy, the seasons of fruitfulness that you have, he says, that testifies to God. Don't, don't thank us for the, for the miracle. That's God. Don't look at your, your blessings and think that you did it or that that this is just out there and nothing caused it. I mean, it was funny. I was hiking a couple of days ago up in a very scenic part uh, of Escondido, very um, uh, secluded, I guess is the right word. And there were a couple of, of gals hiking together about, I don't know, 100 yards ahead of me. And I heard them talking. And they were talking about how beautiful of a setting it was. It was. I was eavesdropping. Active listening is the way I... I, I refer to it. I was actively listening. And um, one says to the other, she goes, isn't it amazing that this all just happened? Now, if I could have interjected without them mazing me in the forest, I probably <laughs> would have because it's creepy to have some dude just interrupt your conversation that you don't know out in the middle of the woods somewhere. So I decided to not do it. But what I wanted to say is, just happened? You think this just happened? Just happened? What? You know, you just want to go, just happened. That's what Paul's doing. He's going, no, 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 no. Zeus and Hermes, you think they did this? You, you, you think that Zeus and Hermes, you think we're Zeus and Hermes, Zeus and Hermes ever made anybody walk? No, God can do that. Don't give us the credit and don't, for goodness sake, don't worship us. Instead, focus on the goodness of what God has already given to you and give him the credit for it, give him the glory for it. Anybody who is speaking on God's behalf and actually doing it, 
They give credit. They don't take it. They don't say, okay, yeah, you know what? You're right. In fact, you know, God's really blessed to have me in his army. He couldn't have done it without me. Nope. Gives it away. They're like, no, 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 no. Nope. You don't worship us. You worship God. And he's not Zeus. He's not Hermes. The prophet Isaiah would put it really bluntly. He says, you guys worship things that don't even have eyes or ears. I mean, they're painted on there, but they can't see anything. They can't hear anything. You're worshiping them as though they can hear you. How can they hear you if they, they got little painted on ears? He's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you, and let me introduce you to a God who sees all and hears all. So what happens here is, is incredible. And then he goes on, and elsewhere, Paul will say, there's a difference between hero worship or worship of idols and what you would call holy emulation. That I want to be like that person when I grow up because they're walking with Jesus so closely. There's a cop in Alabama who has a severe physical deformity. Uh, he looks exactly like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I pity him. Um, that's him on the left. Pretty good, huh? So he shows up. I hear he's popular with all the female drivers in town. Looks just like the guy. And he says almost daily, he has people go, hey, are you the rock? <laughs> he looks that much like the guy. Says it happens every day. In fact, he'll even go and visit kids in the hospital thinking that he's the rock. Nice guy. By the way, they've met. The videos are pretty funny. When you see them together, it's creepy. Um, one is the rock, and the other looks like the rock. You've got to understand the difference between the is and the looks like. Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. There is no other. And then you have people who follow him and look like him. And that's good. And it's okay to follow them as they follow Christ. But you have to understand that whoever's in the front of the line, whoever they're following. Remember when they taught you how to drive with your, uh, like in the fog? When you were young, you're like, oh, I'm on a windy road and it's foggy. How do I get out of that? When a lot of people would say, well, follow the taillights of the car in front of you. Which is fine as long as who he's following is not driving off the cliff, right? Whoever's in the front of the line has nobody they're following and can easily just take a header, in which case everybody behind him who's following his taillights goes over the edge. You got to make sure that as you're following, you can follow others to follow, as they follow Christ, but you have to know that Jesus is in the front. You have to. It means that we, we, we engage in what you would call holy emulation in a constructive way, in a way that builds our faith and points us to Jesus, signposts to Jesus, but we never mistake them. We shouldn't be satisfied just uh, looking like a Christian or wanting to be one. We should want to be like Jesus in every way we can. So, how do we know the difference between hero worship and holy emulation? God's messengers magnify the Lord through their ministry. They point to him. They don't take the credit. They give credit. We need to ask ourselves, when they look at me, um, or you, do we have lives that we would want anybody to imitate? Or is it, are we living the kind of lives that we go, whatever you do, don't be like me. Because I'm not a very good person. Well, compared to Jesus, none of us are very good people, right? But, but Paul lived in such a way that he felt comfortable saying, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, when they, when they figure out, Paul and Barnabas, that the Lystran people are worshiping them, they're horrified by it. Like any authentic messengers of the gospel, the last thing they want is for the glory to go to them instead of to God himself. Um, now they point to God and say in full-throated 
volume. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from them. In Acts 14, 16 to 17, we'll read this, these two verses again. He says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's a, that's a, uh, James says something similar in James 1. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Um, I said it went downhill. It does indeed. So after everybody wanting to bring out bulls and goats and garlands to sacrifice to them, some Jews who are anti-Jesus show up in town. They flip the crowd. The crowd then grabs Paul and they stone him to death. That escalated quickly. Well, he's not killed, killed. He's semi-killed. He's so dead looking, they think he's dead. Meaning he's probably unconscious and lifeless laying there. And if you don't know what stoning was, it's not like they, you know, throw a little gravel at you. They dig a pit, usually. They would throw you in the pit so you couldn't move much. And then they would throw enormous rocks at you until you were dead. They would beat you to death with rocks. That's what stoning was. Well, so Paul goes from being, let's worship the guy, to let's kill the guy in what seems like a very short amount of time. And they drag him out beyond the city limits, and they leave his body out there for the vultures to eat. There he lies. Oh, there's your missionary now. Look at him. You know what happens next? The believers go out. They surround Paul. And they pray for Paul. And he gets up. Acts 14, 19. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. See, the faithful are always going to walk through the fire. See, when Jesus says, we are not greater than our master, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Uh, when he says that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, we would do well to listen to that. Even Paul, when he was commissioned on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, he, it was foretold to him. God says, you will suffer. I don't know if Paul thought that he would suffer quite that much. When he goes down his greatest hits list of the different ways that he suffered preaching the gospel, it's pretty breathtaking. I've been shipwrecked this many times, stoned this many times. I've been you know, beaten, whipped with chains, thrown in jail, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he deserves a total wall of plaques in the Persecution Hall of Fame. But it raises the question that if I'm Christ's follower and I'm not greater than he is, shouldn't I expect that? And if I never experience it, is it right for me to ask whether or not the evil one finds my life worth persecuting? Does it mean, I mean, it doesn't mean, now that's different, by the way. The Bible differentiates between I went out and acted like a chump and, and got smoked because I was mouthing off versus I was out preaching the gospel and the world collided with it. Meaning I got out there and I talked about, no, no, this didn't all just happen. No, you're, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. No, there's not a lot of ways to heaven, and Jesus is just one of many, many roads. No, there's one way according to Scripture, and it's him. And there's only one name under, given under heaven by which we must be saved, and it's his. And those kinds of things that you run into collision with the world, that's the nature of discipleship. And what makes Paul, what makes Jesus, what makes the apostles so unique 
is that they are living out a type of faith that is so obviously hostile to the culture that they're living in, that's so countercultural, that it leads to friction. And no matter how hard they try to snuff those lights out, whether it's like stoning Stephen to death, whether it's Paul laying dead on the edge of town, they get up again and they say, I'm still here. I'm still here. And to me, that's great, great news. In an age in which even Christians predict seasons of ongoing prosperity, the relative absence of suffering who follow Christ the closest, who promise prosperity at every turn without the presence of the cross, which has stood as the symbol of Christianity for centuries for a reason, is that each generation learns its own way of suffering for the sake of the gospel, or it should. It is our way of life. The Apostle Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 2, 19 to 21. He says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin or beaten for it, you endure? It's kind of what I just said. If you go out and you suffer for doing something stupid, that's whoop-de-doo. He says, But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He says, you're not greater than I am. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. And so here's Paul, half dead on the edge of town. The believers surround him, and just like the lame man that he healed, all of a sudden Paul is back on his feet. And an amazing thing happens. Check this out, check this out, check this out. He walks from here. He gets up, he goes to a town called Derby. It's probably about as far from him as Anaheim is from right here in Escondido. This is on foot, no cars, right? I don't know, maybe he had a horse or something, who knows? Camel, I don't know what they used back then. Uh, carrier pigeons, whatever. He got there, he got there and he preaches there and it says a lot of people come to faith. And then you know what? He's supposed to go on from there to Antioch and you know what he does instead? He goes, you know what? No, I'm going back to Lystra where they stoned me and left me for dead. And it says he does it because, it says in Acts 14, 22, he goes there and he preaches, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He goes back to where they stoned him and left him for dead to encourage the believers who are there. He walks back. Now, where he's heading... Picture that as like Hollywood, distance-wise, and in the same direction. So like I say, we're in Escondido. Here we go. He goes, from, that's Lystra. We're Lystra. Takes off. He goes to Derby. That's Anaheim. On foot. Then he goes, you know what? They're not strong enough. I need to go back and encourage them. So he turns around, not heading toward Hollywood, turns around, goes backward to Escondido, essentially, on foot, to encourage them and to say, not cheer up, buckaroo, but to reiterate the fact that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It's as though he knows they're not tough enough, that they might quit. As Ricky Jenkins said, I'm still here is a testimony. I'm still here. Paul goes back to Lystra, having just preached the gospel, and says, I'm still here. There at Lystra, there'd be a young convert. His name was Timothy. He'd become Paul's young wingman, his son in the faith. And Paul would write him an I'm still here letter, actually two of them, saying that even as he struggled through the ups and the downs of ministry to stick with it, don't stop fighting, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. And he would say, the Holy Spirit is stronger than the tribulations that you have to endure to enter the kingdom of God. But make no mistake, the path of the kingdom goes through there. We've been through a heck of a year or two here. Personal lives, church, 
I don't know if and when it's ever going to end, frankly. But we cannot give or receive too much encouragement. Let me say that again. You cannot give too much encouragement. I often will have people come up after services sometimes and say, I don't want you to get a big head, but as though I could overdose on encouragement. Um, no, I've, I've tried it. Um, I'll take all of it I can get, and I bet you could too. What they do for Paul when he's half dead, instead of them running for the hills and leaving Paul to die, they go out, they circle around him, and they pray for him. And then he gets up, and he goes to Derby, and he wins a bunch of converts, and Everything's going great, and he survived, and now it's all in Antioch. No, it's not. He's going to turn back around. He's going back to Lystra just to tell them, hey, listen, to encourage them and to say, hey, listen, what happened there, that's par for the course, but I'm still here. Are you still here? I'm still here. There are people who over the last year or two that gave up. They looked at the trials and the tribulations of the current milieu that we're in, and they said, there's no way, if there is a God, he's not good enough or strong enough for me. Because if I'm suffering to this extent, our world is suffering to this extent, there's no way that there could be a God. Now, it doesn't matter how many times God has already told them, in this world, you will have trouble. And so the question then becomes, all right, what about, what about us? The church can either, after being proverbially stoned to death after death, lie on the outside, dead. Christians can just do that. Life through you, every curveball you can think of. You lost your job, you got depressed, you did whatever, your finances took a beating. Um, you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. You lost friends to attrition. Your closest friends went off and moved to Idaho or Arizona or Oregon or Washington or South Carolina or Tennessee. Those are all states I've lost friends to since this all started, right? And you're like, you know, what is happening? And why am I dumb enough to still be here? Why am I still here? Easter of 2020. I was in a place I never thought I would be on Easter. I was not preaching on Sunday morning. I was in front of my television and my computer. Womp. You know, and it was horrible. Sticking around and for months and months, not knowing, I don't know, you know, people would go, how many people go to your church? I have no idea. I still get asked that. I have no idea. <laughs> you know? And here I am on Easter Sunday. I already preached the sermon days before. And I'm watching myself on television. And the part that made me the saddest, among many things, was that my phone had no notifications on it. Here's why it matters. On Easter, pastors, starting at about 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, We'll start sending out text threads of encouragement to each other. Hey, buddy, praying for you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Nothing. So I'm sitting there by, I don't know, 9, 10 o'clock. I'm in full-blown emo pastor mode. I'm, in, I'm sad. I'm depressed. And it occurs to me, I go, you know what? I could have sent something. Why didn't I send anything? Well, I looked over my phone, picked it up, see if there were any notifications. There weren't any. So I picked out a few. And I just said, you know, half their services were already over, like East Coast people and stuff like that. And I sent it, and I set it back down. I'm in the chat room talking to some of you. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I was grateful for what we could do, you know, at least we could do something, right? But, but 
man, Easter's like the Super Bowl. It's, it's like, dude, everybody's encouraging each other. Man, you're talking about the empty tomb, and you're, you know, and here I am watching myself, and on a day like that, you feel like the camera adds 100 pounds. You know, you're like, golly, I look miserable and tired and sick and sorry, and it's like, golly, do I really sound like that to people? And, you know, you start doing all this. Meanwhile, the phone just sits there. And then all of a sudden, I was like, it's alive. (laughs) I grab my phone and I pick it up and it's one of my pastor friends responding to me. He says, hey man, I don't know about you, but today kind of sucked for me, but that doesn't change the fact that he's risen, he's risen indeed. And I was like, amen, brother, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Went back to my depression. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, it would start and it just started popping and it was almost like the resurrection of the American pastor had taken place (laughs) on a Sunday when we're supposed to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus it was like what we needed to do and say to the church that day and to one another was I'm still here You still here, you know? To, to, to stand up before the pagans and the atheists and everybody else who might have stood back and mocked the church. We're still here. We're still here. And where you see some Christian lying on the outskirts of the town, beat up, battered, and bruised, we will pray. We'll pray. And where somebody needs encouragement, we're going to encourage. And it doesn't matter if i got to turn around and walk from Anaheim to Escondido to do it. We will do it. And when it comes time to encourage one another, we're going to encourage one another. You guys may not remember, but back, back when we first did this and we were capped to like, you know, a couple, 25 people, I think it was, or something like that at the time. I mean, we were, we were wearing ourselves out doing an obscene amount of services, given the number of people we could have in the room to kind of spread everybody out and everything. And I just go, uh, you know, getting, getting up and preaching to a completely empty room, <laughs> virtually completely empty, and going through those things. You know, you go, why would it have been different? Could it have been different? Sure, it could have been different. But I also go, you know what? The God who has remained there for me deserves me to say, I'm still here for him. And the people of God who are willing to stand with me and with Christians around the globe and say, we're still here. We are still here. Okay, that, that we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we do the kinds of things that we see here. Because encouragement, sisters and brothers, is massively underrated. <laughs> massively underrated. And if you don't believe me, I hope God will show you soon that somebody with just the right word, just the right moment, just the right whatever, like, like air into your lungs when you were about to breathe your last. Just boom. And that's what Paul, what they do for Paul, praying for him. Then he gets up, he does that, turns around and says, hey, just want you to know, I'm still here, guys. And we're going to keep going through this. But on the other side is the kingdom. Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. And so, sisters and brothers, this morning, that is the word from Lystra to us. And so this morning, when we take, as we take communion now, we're going to take communion, uh, the bread and the cup. I want you to think about yourself briefly. Think about how, and if you missed uh, getting the elements when you walked in, uh, go ahead and uh, put your hand in the air. We'll bring it to you, okay? You got a little pocket back right. Um, okay, so we're going to think about ourselves, okay? What, what you may need. And then we're going to move on.
And we're going to let this be our we're still here meal today. All right? Um, I'm sorry for the tribulations you may have been through over the last year or two. Um, it's out of my hands. But if we're willing, we can trust the God who saw them through these things and we can do what they did. Holy emulation. So to those of you who are in need, who are broken hearted, hurt, wounded, we're going to let this meal be our I'm still here meal. We are still here and we're going to pray for one another. Um, we're going to encourage one another right now in music and in meal. Would you pray with me? Father, The example of Paul and the early Christians takes my breath away. Their resilience, Father, the encouragement that it provides even us now, 2,000 years later, as we watch them pray and fight and kick and scratch and claw their way through stuff that is frankly worse than anything we've faced and probably ever will in this life, Father. I give you thanks for them this morning, Father, for each person who's willing to stand here today and profess the name of Jesus saying, I'm still here. We are still here. God's people all over the globe professing the risen Jesus, encouraging one another, praying for one another. Father, to all of those who, proverbially speaking, are lying on the edge of the road, bloodied and battered and beaten, Father, we pray for healing. We lock arms today and we say, Father, please heal them. Father, for those of us who have been too reticent to encourage others, we, Father, we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you, you turn us into encouragement machines. And then, Father, now with bread and cup in the steps of Jesus, the one who told us about the tribulations that we would go through in this, in this world, Father, we take the bread and the cup, the reminder of his body and his blood, Father, and we say thank you for giving us a role model that we can follow in Jesus with, with no ifs, ands, buts, or, or anything we, that we can follow who is good and altogether worthy. So now, as the community of those who are still here, we say thank you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.